Good morning, everybody. You're very welcome here. Before I ask the candidates who are going to be baptized to come forward, I want to show you a very short clip that was released this week. I tell you what, folks, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world, right? Right? Do you, do you live in the same place I do? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. And you really got to try it as best you can to keep pace with it. Stefan, could you go ahead and run this? Take a look at this. This film was on BBC this week. They're meeting in a church and they've got a choir. They've also got moments of quiet contemplation. They've even got a collection. The one thing they don't have, however, is any reference to God or religion. You know, there's never a time in your diary you go, oh, between uh, Tuesday and Wednesday next uh, week, I've got time to start a church. <laughs> Sanderson Jones is co-founder of the Sunday Assembly Movement. He's a stand-up comedian by trade, so no surprise his gatherings are peppered with humour. This is really going to make it look like a weird thing. Just because you're doing something serious doesn't mean you can't have a lot of fun. We are changing the world, I think. But we're That's a big a... claim, changing the world. Yeah, we are. We How? Are. How are you changing the How? world? How? Well, we started off with zero assemblies uh, in January, and there are 35 already. There might even be 40 by the end of the year. Imagine what could happen if the, uh, I think it's maybe 30% of the people in Britain you know, are non-religious and they don't have a church. What happens if suddenly all of those people get inspired to not only help each other but to help in the community? Do you class yourself as an atheist, a humanist or some other label? Uh, I don't think those labels are very helpful to go and think about things. What we do here is celebrate the one thing we've all got in common, and that is that we are alive. <laughs> so, he's clear about why he's here, but what about his first congregation in Manchester? I think it'll be nice if you could harness the goodness in people without having to use religion to do it. I'm just hoping to sort of find out what it's about and feel a bit of love and have a good sing. So they round off with tea and cakes, but of course no vicar. Now you may be asking, they're a congregation who don't believe in God. They want a service that has no religious content. So why choose a church for their inaugural meeting? Well, apparently this was the only space available tonight. However, they say it's not the building that matters, more what goes on inside it. Dave Guest, BBC News, Manchester. So you get, man... 35 new groupings, they're not churches, 35 new groupings across the UK, well, ac across the world in 10 months. Because they're answering a need, a soulish need, not a spiritual need. They're answering a soulish need that every human being has to be loved, to be accepted, to be, feel part of something. And in some ways, you know, the modern day church has, has failed in its task. It's failed in every generation to represent Christ in the way that he should be represented. And for those of you who are visitors here this morning, we can only apologize. Forgive us for our humble attempt at representing Jesus Christ to you here this morning. But please accept it sincerely from us. We're a group of born-again Christians, as was mentioned just now. We're part of what has become the largest missions church in the world. Not large because we meet in football stadiums, but actually large because all over the world in 103 countries so far, 
in small groups just like this. People just like you have come to find Christ. I was brought up in a Christian, inverted commas, family and home, but I was never a believer as such. I went to church, but I was not a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You can go to church, it doesn't alter one thing. The building that you sit in, it doesn't matter if your parents were Christians. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's a very different process, and I thank God that the Bible is not obscure. It's not ambiguous about how a person is saved, can be saved. About six months ago, I had an operation. It was an umbilical hernia, and it was quite severe. It was, I thought it would be easy, but it wasn't. It was a hard time for me. One of the things Gladys here, when I told her my, she's an anesthetist, and when I told her my predicament, she said, ah, that's, you've had that since birth. That will be a birth defect. And then when I saw the consultant after my operation, he said, ah, <laughs> this is a birth defect in you, this hernia. You've had this all your life. And of course, my question was, I'm 50. I'm 50 years old. How, how come something that, some defect in the way that I was born, how come that that is coming out now in my later life? Why was, there a la why was there a big gap there? It's a sad job that I do in some ways because you meet many people who have walked with God a seemingly a long time only to arrive in their 30s, 40s, or 50s with problems. Big problems. Huge problems. They're in some way defective. And you see, the analogy is perfect because some of the problems that we pick up in the way that we were born again in the way that we came to Christ, we need to look back at that because many of those initial problems, even though they remain hidden for years, sooner or later they will come out. Now for me, it was because I, I started, don't laugh, I took a membership at the gym. <laughs> and I decided I was going to get healthy and get fit because I was putting on a little bit too much weight. But what happened then was there was additional pressures, additional stresses put on my physical body and result, hernia. And you see, as you go through life, sooner or later, certain pressures are going to come upon you. You can't avoid that. We're all in the same world. And those pressures, whether you're lost or you think you're saved, those pressures are actually going to bring out aspects of your salvation that maybe you have believed wrongly in, false securities. And this topic is something I'm very, very passionate about. I care about it. You know, folks, in life, you, you can afford to get many things wrong. You can fail lots of exams like I did, right? You can get lots of things wrong. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. But there's a few things in life you cannot afford to get wrong. And one of them is... How does a person get saved? There is no room. There's no wiggle room here. Right? You cannot afford to make any mistakes. And I refuse. I don't care about you liking me. I don't care about my job. I don't care about my position or anything on this planet when it comes to this topic. I will only tell the whole truth. That means you leave nothing out. And nothing but the truth, that means you don't add anything. There's a reason for that construction. The whole truth, 
means that you put everything to do with salvation in the mix and nothing but the truth means you don't add unnecessary things for salvation. Are you with me? And many denominations have done that. They've added so-called truths, their lies, saying you need to do this to be saved, you need to do that to be saved, you need to be this to be saved. These things are not true. And so what I want to make clear this morning may seem, and I've seen people just laugh and mock me when I've said this, how do you get born again? The people who get so cocky and, and cheeky about these things, really, when you cannot afford to be so. Jesus compared, when he was challenged or asked about this by a guy called Nicodemus, how does a man get saved? This was a sincere question from someone who knew something was wrong within him. How does a person get saved? And Jesus' reply was fantastic. He compared being born again to the birth of a baby, to the whole process of childbirth, the, the cutting of the cord being like repentance, the washing of that baby being like, as we'll see today, baptism, the laying on of hands when that child breathes alone or cries out alone, which every mother who's just had a baby wants to hear, wants to hear that cry, right? You want to know that that child is alive and well, you know, and, and every Christian, that's why I like to hear you pray out loud. Those of you who are members here, you know, I was because I want to hear you. I want to know you're well. I want to know you're okay in there. Now, unfortunately, we live in an era where there's a lot of bad midwives. A lot of people who are trying to bring people to Jesus, many of them are sincere, trying to help people to find God, but they are not qualified, really. I mean, spiritually, they don't have the insight or understanding. A bit like this chap we just saw. I have no doubt he's sincere, but he's sincerely wrong. He's sincerely wrong, leading people to nowhere. I downloaded his doctrine. Guess what his doctrine is? He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any. That doesn't surprise me. Because they refuse to come under God, refuse to listen, refuse to be taught. And I've got no doubt if I, if I went to this guy, what, he would say, what can you teach me? What can I possibly, possibly learn from you or anybody else? Who can teach me anything? That's a crazy attitude, isn't it? <laughs> what a crazy... But this is the attitude that, that some get themselves into. The Bible says that God has given us teachers. There's a reason. So that you'll learn something that you presume that you already knew. That's the nature of pride within fallen humanity. Could I have my first slide, please, Stefan? Thank you. Take a look at these four points. There's an order here to the way that you get saved. And if you're here this morning and you consider yourself saved, born again, and going to heaven, I say, praise God. The only thing I would ask you to do is follow me through the biblical road to salvation and you just make very sure of this point. For those of you who are not saved, you're welcome here. I didn't get saved till I was 26 years old. I didn't fully understand. I thought I did. But I didn't fully understand this until that time. If you properly look at the Bible and the order in which a person gets saved, the order doesn't change and the order is of critical importance. What's the first thing? Scripture says a person needs to do to be saved. 
They need to repent. But just because you turn from your sin doesn't make you saved. I know a lot of people who are better than you. I know a lot of people who you sin more than some of my lost friends. They have repented for more sin than you. Do you follow me? Repentance, turning from sin alone, doesn't save. And if I, as a minister, if all I say to people is repent and you'll be okay, then I don't even know what I'm talking about. Because I've not given them the full story. I've not explained the full gospel as Jesus did. Okay. So, first of all, yes, absolutely, a person must turn from sin. We call it repentance. What's the second thing they need to do then? This is a different operation. This is putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different thing. I have turned from the errors in my life. My conscience is guiding me. I know what's wrong. I turn from my sin, but then suddenly I become aware of Jesus Christ. And I put my faith that he died for me. Then after that, Scripture is very clear that every believer... Every person who believes, a baby can't believe, every believer should be baptized in water. And I'll explain why, because that's what we're going to do today. And after they are baptized in water, they need to receive the Spirit. Now, I studied church history. I went to Cardiff University for two years to do that. And I took a chunk out of my life because I thought it was important and I was right. It is important. If you look through history, you will see that denominations are famous for taking one of these points and specializing in it like faith belief for example the evangelicals took that one and all they did is teach 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 all day teach when people don't know what to do what do they do teach more teaching that's what we need more teaching teaching till we blow up This is the evangelical route. This is what they did because they took this one out and they said, if you know the right things, you're okay. Big mistake. There was a lot of people in Jesus' day called the Gnostics. comes from the word knowledge. They did the same thing. They thought, as long as I know what's right, as long as we as a church teach, then everything's okay. No, it's not. No one ever got saved because of what they believed. It's not believing things. Don't comfort yourself. Because you believe in God. That is not what, that's not salvation. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says that every person born on this earth knows that there is a God. Do you know, when I was an atheist, I was walking down the street one day in the middle of a thunderstorm, and it was a terrible thunderstorm. Didn't believe in God, not interested in God. And there was a thunderclap over my head. I come from Belfast. I heard many bombs in my life. (laughs) But this was the biggest bomb I've ever heard. It just scared the living daylights out of me. And I leapt or I jumped off the ground in fear. And a word came out of my mouth that I did not expect. It was a name. What do you think the name was? Yeah, and I wasn't swearing. I wasn't swearing. I thought I was going to die. Funny as an atheist, funny as an unbeliever, when the gun is put to your head, funny how suddenly, suddenly you find something inside yourself. Actually, when the pressure was on, they have a saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. 
There's no atheists in the trenches during war. Because when the bombs start falling, all of a sudden people start getting serious and they find inside themselves the fingerprint of God. You know that there is a God. You might want to talk yourself out of that for earthly reasons, to pursue your own agenda. Okay? But you know, deep inside you, you know that there's a God. But like all men, like Adam, we hide. We hide from Him. We hide because we're afraid of Him ultimately. So different denominations have taken one of these things instead of all four. Baptism, the Catholics, the Anglicans... They take children and they baptize them and then give some false unbiblical assurance that this means you're saved. This is a fallacy. This is false teaching. Let me explain why. Don't walk out on me. Keep listening. You don't, most of you don't even know where it came from, infant baptism. During the Middle Ages in Germany, in, in, in Holland, in France, in Spain, in Ireland, in Britain, in Wales, the, 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 the political system was very unruly. And the politicians wanted to control and dominate the nations. How do you think they thought they were going to do that? Through the church. So they created a thing called Christendom. The combination of church and state. But this created a huge problem for the politicians. Because if you follow the Bible and you have believers that are baptized only, you can't have Christendom and they can't rule the nation. So the politicians, in country after country after country after country, they abolished believers' baptism, which was a scriptural, biblical mandate from the mouth of Jesus. And they established a church-state relationship. And they said that we will baptize as babies every person born in to the families in our land. And then we will control the nation. Do you follow? Okay. And then there was a thing called the Reformation, where they acknowledged that this was heresy. Every single reformer acknowledged, in fact, they called it extreme wickedness. Don't go there. It's such a crazy thing to allow this to happen to you. I was raised a Catholic, you see, so I was baptized as a child. But as soon as I got saved, I'm alive. My eyes are open. I read the Bible. So I went to my parents and I said, this tradition, this is a tradition of men. This, this is a dangerous thing. That caused a lot of trouble for me, I can tell you, in my home. But I had to say to my parents, Look, Mom, look, Dad, on this issue, I will never be loyal to you. You're talking about salvation. I've been a good son. My mother said that. <laughs> I've been a great son. But my, my, my mom actually said to me, I am ashamed of you because you have been baptized as an adult and I had to plead with her, Mom, I tell you what, there's some things in life you don't take, play games with. And salvation is one of them. You were in a tradition and you have a false loyalty to the tradition. Get a Bible and get loyal to God. Because when you die, you're not going to face a pope, you're not going to face a pastor. You're going to face the same Jesus that said to Nicodemus, who was cheeky. Nicodemus refused to get baptized, you see, he was a Pharisee. He disagreed with baptism. That's why Jesus said to him, huh, how does a man get saved, you know? And Jesus said, go back and do what John told you. Go back and get baptized in water, Nicodemus. Obey. You, do, you, you don't get to create this. You don't get to make up the plan. You're not God. So God himself alone has the right to dictate. And that's what it is. Once you start changing step one, step two, 
If I take baptism and I baptize a child and I put baptism at number one, guess what? That person has no need to repent. I've got my church. I go on Sunday. Everybody loves me, but I never need to repent. You've just short-circuited the actual plan of God. Do you understand? By corrupting the order, the biblical order, and I've written a book on this actually. It's called Nobody Ever Told Me That. If you want a copy, I'll be very happy to give you one. But this is something that I will not compromise on and I advise you not to compromise on it. Most people I speak to don't know what they're talking about. Most pastors would not know what they're talking about. That's the truth. I work with pastors all day. But, I mean, what? I wouldn't even give a percentage. Would it be 50%? Amongst born again, I don't know. You see, the devil has really sought to, to, to cloud the minds of people on what it's like to be fully, properly born again. Next slide, please. This is a great chart. I've given it you, you, underneath your seat or on your seat. You've got this to take away, to take home with you. Don't look at it now. Just look up here. Scripture talks about conversion in two parts. It talks about uh, salvation, sorry, in two parts. It talks about the conversion part. This is my bit. The word conversion means it's do your mind. I change my thinking. You have a part to play here. I had to break out of my tradition. You will have to break out of yours, whatever that is. And then it talks about God's bit, the born again bit. Born from on high, as Jesus put it. The regeneration, that's God's part. So salvation in the Bible is a very clear step-by-step process. And if we obey what Scripture says, it actually, if you calculate all the Scriptures on repentance, you will find that most of them are orders to you, to men. It's, it's man-heavy. Then when you look at baptism, uh, sorry, sorry, belief, you'll find that people are changing your mind. God won't change your mind, remember. You need to change your thinking. I used to believe that God was bad. Now I believe he's good. I used to think I could figure this myself. Now I know I can't. Once I didn't believe in scripture, now I understand. You're changing. This is your part. And then once you start getting over to the regeneration, the born again bit, it's God heavy. And the, 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 the biblical point is this. If you get the thing right, you start off with a lot of you. And you finish up with none of you and it's all God. You understand? You decrease. And he increases with his spirit on you. If you get this right, you, went, you always repent in scripture to the Father. You always believe in the Son. And you receive the Spirit. So if you follow the biblical line of repentance first, then belief, then baptism, then receiving the Spirit, you will end up with a relationship with the Holy Trinity. You will end up with a relationship with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Ghost. But the fact is, in much of modern so-called leading people to Christ, it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, friends, it's not all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is the center, absolutely. But scripturally, salvation is not all about Jesus. They went to Jesus one day and said, teach us how to pray. And he said, our Father. He sent them straight to the Father. Our Father, start at the right place. Go back. So you've got to understand that there is a Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if you have not come to Christ right... I repeat what I said at the beginning. Many of the problems in Christians in later life, like with me, with my operation, they are problems that stem from earlier times, actually from birth. 
in my case, and from Europe from the time when you were born again, for many of you. Now, let me just be clear about what repentance is and what repentance isn't, because in the world today, there are many false churches arise, arising. There's an absolute epidemic right now of, of, of false faith out there. For example, I'll give you an example of, of preaching that's not good for salvation. Do you need money? Come to God and God will give you lots of money. Right? Is that repentance? That's feeling sorry for yourself. That's wanting to get money. That's all about you. Amen? That's all about you. That's all about you. That's not being sorry towards God. There's other people who feel sorry for things they've done. They can't live with the guilt within them. So they want to get away from that. They want to feel better about it. But that's still thinking about myself. Repentance is sorrow towards who? God. And God alone. I told you some guys here, a, a, a man who had committed adultery was heartbroken about it. He made an appointment to come and see me. And he came and he sat in my office. And he said, Pastor, I've, I've slept with this other man's wife. And then he started to talk. And he cried his heart out. And this is what he said to me. He said, I have been terrified that my wife would know. I've been terrified that my kids would find out. I was terrified that you would know. And I waited for it. <laughs> you know, what, what am I waiting for? And when he finished, you know, I said to him, Brother, it is very clear why you committed the sin in the first place. Because you have a very low regard for God. You didn't even mention God. So that man was not repenting. He felt remorseful for risking his family. He felt guilty for what he had done. He wanted to feel better about his life, better in himself, but none of these things are repentance, friends. Repentance is, is, is actually a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing to feel sorry to God. It's a, one, it's a beautiful thing. It's a relational thing. So don't get confused about what repentance is, but neither should you be confused about what faith is, about what saving faith is. We were out on the streets yesterday witnessing so many people. They come to you and they talk and they are so proud uh, because of what they believe, you see. They don't understand. If a person says, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take away sins, does that mean that person's saved? No. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, but I believe that Jesus... No, that doesn't mean a thing. It's not what you believe that saves you. Are you beginning to understand? Do you know what I believe? I believe that I was crucified with Him. It's personal. He died for me. It's personal. It's me. He died for Michael McKeever. And I understood that. He's mine and I am His. I died on that cross, not just Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So we're not talking about some intellectual fact. Oh, I believe that Jesus died. This means nothing, friends, in terms of salvation. Nothing. It's just academic knowledge. That's all it is. In the last days, knowledge will increase and pride will increase with it. It's a warning. It's a warning. Be careful of seeking knowledge. You see, it's a warning to you. This is personal. This is only ever personal. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he was buried for me. And I believe that he rose. And so I will rise. 
Amen. How am I going to symbolize that? Oh yeah, that's right. Baptism. So Nicodemus, you see, goes to Jesus. He's got his own tradition. He comes from a traditional background. There's no doubt about believing that God exists. No doubt at all. There's no doubt about repentance. Nicodemus is a good guy. Inverted commas. But Nicodemus doesn't know God, you see. He's not saved, I mean. Everybody knows there's a God. Nicodemus is not saved. So he comes with a very sincere question, actually, to Jesus. How do I get saved? I mean, he's asking the right person, isn't he? It's a great scripture. Thank God for this recorded by John. How do I get saved? Nicodemus is proud in his tradition as a Pharisee who don't accept baptism. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, no one. You don't make the rules here. Not one of you. That's you. That's me. That's you, Jeanette. Not one of you will enter heaven unless he is baptized in water and has received the Spirit. That's what Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus. Now, if you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian and you do not accept that, you're either a liar, a lunatic, I don't know what you are, but you're not a Bible believer. Do you understand? You may say you're a Bible believer. And many people do. Oh, I believe, I believe. It doesn't matter. You're not obeying Scripture. Next slide, please. You see, how many times people say so many stupid questions. Why do I need to be baptized? What does it do for me? What's it for? And yet, no matter how many times Jesus answers that question, I don't know why you're still asking it. Look at these few scriptures here. In Mark 16, 16, it says this. Whoever believes and is... That's right. Whoever believes and is... Will be saved. It doesn't say whoever is baptized and then believes. It says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So have you been baptized? Don't answer me. Have you been baptized? Have you obeyed that scripture? Look at the next one. This is Jesus, the one we've just mentioned. Jesus says straight out to Nicodemus, unless, in other words, it's essential, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is first born out of it, the word he uses in the Greek. It means you have to go into something. We're going to do it in the water later. Born out of water and has received the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says this. Repent and be for. Okay, so at the end of this meeting, believe me folks, you might not believe it, but it's true. At the end of this meeting, someone will always come up to me and say, what is baptism for? What is it for? Well, you never need to ask that question again. Just read this scripture. Repent and be baptized for what? Yeah, that's right. So those of you who are being baptized today, from God's perspective, He sees this as an event. He sees it like a wedding day. Like a sealing moment. Like when the ring goes on your finger. It's a moment that He decides is an event that he has instituted for you to follow. Not asking your opinion, not asking you about denominations or your theology. We're all in this together. My advice to you is just obey what Jesus says. When I'm baptized, it is for the forgiveness and the washing away of the sins in my life. 
And Hebrews follows that and says, once you have had this washing, it gives you confidence to go before God. And that's a wonderful, wonderful scripture. But look at this last one. Look at this. Look up. Peter takes the whole baptism thing to great depths. Excuse the pun. And he says this. He's talking about the flood. Everybody look at me. Everybody eyes forward. I want you to get this very important point. Peter says, talking about the flood, this water, the flood waters, judgment, it symbolizes baptism, which now saves you. What does it do? This water symbolizes baptism, which now saves you. Now you can go as deep or as complicated in this as you choose. But let me, let, let me just summarize it very quickly. Eyes forward. Listen carefully. You see, there's an Old Testament and there's a New. There's judgment and there's grace available to you. But you must obey God's ways. And, and Peter, uh, Peter here is talking about different events in history. Listen carefully. The Egyptians. When the Egyptians followed them and refused to listen to God, refused to obey God, what happened then? They were drowned. They were drowned in water. And the water was to the, to the Egyptians what? A judgment. When mankind refused to obey God in Noah's day, what happened then? They were drowned in water and a thing called the flood. So the water to them was what? Judgment. This is the Old Testament. And Peter here is comparing it to the death of Jesus Christ and the life that is available to you if you get baptized. Do you understand? He's saying the same water that was used to judge the Egyptians, the same water that you see judge the people in Noah's day by the same act of baptism now saves us because the judgment that they suffered we don't have to suffer because of who because jesus was crucified and died and was buried that's why you go under the water you don't sprinkle water on <laughs> all right you go under that water out off the greek says you're coming out from beneath the water and that's your public act of confession of association with jesus christ now as Pentecostals, we have a problem with understanding sacraments. And I believe in, 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 in sacramentalism, sacramentalism in a certain way. And this is how. I believe that certain physical things do have spiritual consequences. That certain actions have spiritual consequences, physical actions. Here's an example. Jesus Christ dying on the cross is a physical action. Did that have a spiritual consequence? Oh, yes. That was a physical action, but it was the greatest spiritual consequence of all history. So when people say, what do I need to get baptized for? You need to get baptized because it's a physical action that from God's perspective has a spiritual consequence involving your salvation oh god it's frustrating it's so frustrating it's heartbreaking i tell you 
do my job. Please, do my job for one day. And at the end of this meeting, someone will come up and say, Pastor, why do I need to be baptized? Pastor, I was baptized as a child. Pastor, my, my mom says this, my dad says that. Pastor, None of these are valid reasons. Each and every one of you will stand alone before Jesus Christ. He made these rules, not me. Okay? So, no, I am not too strict on this. No, I am not too heavy on it. I'm just about bang on, actually. Just about right. So I advise you to come in from your extremities, which are traditional ones and denominational ones, worldly ones, and to get a biblical parameter, perspective on salvation. Many people here this morning that are not saved. You should not leave this place like that. Amen? Amen. You don't need to. God is a good God. God is a good, 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 good God. He's here to save you. He's trying to get people into heaven, not trying to keep them out. He's a good God. Look at the cross if you don't believe that. However, there are rules. He's a king. He's a holy king. And there are rules for the entry process. There's order always with God. And the first order above all things is to repent. That's what you must do. And when you turn from that, your mind will begin to open. Your, your spiritual eyes will begin to open to understand and believe the right thing. To read scripture and actually see something and receive something. You need to repent and then change your mind, change your thinking. Right? This is why, as I said at the beginning, some people, when you go back in later life, they're having trouble. They should never have. Because they never, ever dealt with this correctly. Never came along the right road. Oh, but it's nothing to do with myself. Oh, yes, it is, friend. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. You've been flying that whole strength on your own strength without ever changing your mind and submitting your mind to Christ in what you believed in the right way by repenting first and then your eyes open. Who will repent here this morning? Who has never heard of Christ or in the right way, I mean. Don't take any risks, folks. Don't take any risks. Don't take any risks. You see the people in that clip in the beginning? See how they were laughing when the word church was mentioned? <laughs> you go to church. Oh, I remember church. Yeah, yeah. It's sad because they won't always laugh, you know. They won't always laugh. There will be a judgment day, and that grieves me. And it grieves me for some of you here this morning. Repent and put your faith in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for your salvation. Be baptized in water. Obey him. Simple as that. And then receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Be filled. And that will give you the strength to walk. But there's a very definite order. And there's an order for a reason which we could spend many weeks discussing. But we haven't got time for that. We have nine people here, I believe, to be baptized this morning. Could I ask them all to come forward and sit on these front seats? All those, come quickly, please. Don't be shy. Give them a round of applause, folks. Yeah. Oh, is that okay? Is that okay? Okay. What I'm going to ask each of them to do is to come forward and just very briefly tell us why they're being baptized and how Jesus has touched their lives. Sana, come. Let's hit, give a round of applause. Get up here. Come up here. Jamila, 
Today, you can be very, very proud. Very proud. Very proud of your daughter. Because she's following Jesus with all her heart. And I commend you for bringing her up in a very good way that has caused her to follow Christ in this way. Amen. Give her a round of applause. God's given me this opportunity today to actually take this step and I'm so happy that I came on Friday and I prayed and my mum's here and my brother and my sister's here a lot <laughs> and I'm just ready for it Thank you. Thank you very much. Tando, give her a round of applause. Come on up here. Amen. I greet you all in the name of Jesus. And I thank God for giving me this opportunity today because this is a second time given opportunity. I was once baptized when I was 17 years of age, but I don't know what happened on the way after that. You know, youth life made me to, to think that I have sinned before God, and I want to take this chance to do it again. And I thank God for this day again. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. That's it. That's exactly what happened in, in the book of Acts. Just a moment. But that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. I think it's cha chapter 19, where a number of people came to the apostles. And they had been baptized, remember. They'd been baptized by John. But things weren't right. The order was wrong. The order wasn't right. And it says Peter and Paul walked up to them and something was out of order. Power wasn't there. And they said, were you baptized? Yeah, we were baptized, blah, blah, blah. Come on. And they rebaptize them, right, in the right order so that the Spirit can move in your life in ways that He has not yet. And that's what we're doing. And some of you out there need to hear that this morning. Bridget, thank you. Give her a round of applause. This is Bridget. Uh, I was uh, baptized when uh, I was baptized as a young girl in the Catholic Church. So, I over, uh, over the years, over the years, I have faced many challenges in life, especially family problems, and more about, about as I grow in Christ. God helps me to overcome many of the challenges. Life is not about the problems you face. It is about relationship with Jesus. That's why I have decided to be baptized. That's why I decided to be born again. And it doesn't matter what people think 
or say because nothing can remove us from from the love of God. Today I repent to my sins. I'll become I'll be, I'll become up from that water a new creation. Meow, come on up here. Give everybody the applause. Hi, uh, thank you everyone for coming. Um, I have three minutes and I've written something. So, um, yeah, so um, my work with Christ um, started when I arrived in Glasgow. And, and it is actually during the welcoming party. Um, I don't quite remember what the sermon about, but I remember uh, when Pastor Mike asked a student to, do, to draw on the board how much she knows about everything. And, and then in turn, Pastor Mike just draw a small dot on the whiteboard saying this is how much he knows. I, wa um, I was intrigued and I was provoked at that time. And I remember I was standing right behind there like holding a Coke in my hand. And I was telling myself that I should come again. And I keep coming back somehow. So from that day onwards... Um, God has put hunger and curiosity in my heart um, to look for Him. And seems like um, people is helping me. And sorry, there is um, a lot of uh, resources just um, keep pouring inside. And, and then I think God knows that I'm uh, very, skept uh, very skeptical, that's why. So um, my first lesson is God um, tell me that he is just. And I'm so relieved, but... Um, at the same time, um, I feel scared and I tremble because um, I felt like uh, I am exposed. And for the first time, I think I know the meaning of sin and I am a sinner. So, and this goes on for a while before I can see he also loved He's also loved by sending um, Jesus, his one and only son, to die for me on the cross. And I am truly forgiven when Jesus said that it is done, it is finished. Um, so what is the best thing that God can give me if not himself? God has sick for me for long before I seek for him. And he has also... Love me before I start to love him. Thank you. Well done. Justice. Praise God. Well, amen. Uh, I um, I love God with all my heart and I try to do as much as I can to to do what God wants me to do. I've repented many times. I've sinned many times. I've asked for forgiveness many times. But I've just come to the realization that a man in his natural natural being, he can't do, he can't survive doing God's will. He needs an extra power. 
um, to, to just to fall on him and help him. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit as, as our helper. So today I just believe is my day. I, I'm, I'm, I just believe is my day that I, I get that extra power so that God can use me in his kingdom. I can get the freedom and the... I, I just want my wings. I just want to be free in God and be happy and do as God wills. So I'm, I'm just looking forward. I'm, I'm, I, I pray for the Holy Spirit to fall on me. I, I, I'm just looking forward. Thank you. This is John. Good afternoon, church. For those who do not know me, my name is John Martin. I am original from Zimbabwe, um, which is a country south in the southern of Africa. Um, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I used to hear people saying Jesus, but to me it meant nothing. Because where I grew up, my f um, we were not allowed to read the Bible. We were not allowed to say Jesus or even to say Amen. So to me, it was something strange. If I see people or hear people saying Jesus, I'll be like, these people, they are crazy. How can they believe um, in something which they haven't seen? They are mad. Until I met my wife, Tando, almost seven years ago, she told me about Jesus, um, and then it took me a while to accept him. And then at some point, I said to myself, let me try this Jesus of his and see how he works. Tell you what church is alive. He lives. And um, thank you. I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to be baptized and to be the part of the kingdom. Thank you. Praise God. Ebi, come on up here. Give her a round of applause. Um, well, um, I've been born again for quite a while. And I felt being born again is just about repenting and believing and having a relationship with God. I never knew that being baptized is um, part of the whole package and until I read the book and understood why, you know, um, the water baptism is important and here I am today doing it. Okay. Thank you. Now... We're all hoping and praying that the swimming pool is big enough for the next candidate. Come on up, Jim. <laughs> I became born again five years ago. I was watching television and a guy called Barry Smith was talking about end times and the book of Revelation, which I'd never heard of before. And I was totally hooked. It was at one o'clock in the morning and I watched it at three in the morning and I couldn't wait to watch the same thing the following weeks, so it's, it's totally changed my life. I came here in April, and I, it's the best thing I've ever done. I want to thank everyone in this church. I've made more friends in here than I've probably ever had, and I want to thank you all, and it's a privilege to be baptised in here today. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Amen, Praise the Lord. God always saves the best to last. <laughs> Come on up, Yusuf. Praise God. I didn't really prepare myself, but I'm just going to say what I feel. I'm, my name is Joseph. I originally come from Eritrea. And 
I didn't really know about, you know, baptism and everything until I came here and met Mike. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, he spoke to me. Well, he spoke to everybody here. And I felt like as if he really spoke to me, myself, when everybody was praying and I closed my eyes. And he made me feel like as if I can come out of my comfort zone and not pretend. And and the reason I came here today was to actually be baptized just the same as everybody here. And just as the guy that came before John, I've sinned and I'm really sorry and I know God knows that. I don't know what to say. There is a God, believe me. And if you're not baptized, you should be baptized. That's all I could say. Thank you. Thank you. Pakistan, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, Malaysia, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Glasgow, come on. And Eritrea. That's a very international lineup. Right, so, did I miss one? <laughs> Do you know what, folks? You need. All of these people uh, have got problems. I mean, Eritrea, you've seen the news recently with people being drowned, I think 704 days. You can look up here and think, oh, everything's rosy for these guys. Everything's not rosy. Everything's not rosy. Right? And don't say, well, whenever this gets sorted out or that gets sorted out, then I'm going to turn and commit myself to Christ. That's a silly way of thinking, folks. Life will always have its difficulties. And if this crowd doesn't represent that, I don't know which crowd does. Many problems, many different regions, but one God, one Savior, and one track, one line of obedience, which has come down through the centuries to repent of our sin, to believe in Jesus Christ, to symbolize that in, in, in baptism and to receive his spirit and to spread that gospel all over this world. We're going to baptize these people in just one moment. Lord, as we baptize these dear people, we call down from heaven the, the, the fulfillment of all that you have promised. That as they get baptized, you said it was for the forgiveness and the washing away of their sin like a wedding day, like a formality that we must pass through. And it's a glorious and wonderful and great thing that we do here today. So God, we thank you. Thank you for your ways that are not our ways, but we embrace them. We love them. We embrace them wholeheartedly. And we pray nothing but good and goodness and mercy to follow these people all the days of their life. I pray they will be filled with the Holy Spirit empowered by you God bless their lives bless their marriages their homes their futures their careers bless them in every way protect them God from this day on in Jesus name amen I'm, I'm gonna ask the eight people to get ready if you're not ready already get ready <laughs>